Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Jesse Gaskell. And I'm Mike Sweeney, and we're writers on The Conan Show on TBS. Right before we started recording this, no joke, I put on some pants for the first time today. I reached in the pocket and I found a $20 bill. Oh, that's great. Which has never happened to me before, and it was very exciting. I have neither put on pants nor found a $20 bill today. (laughs) Well, I I started um, something exciting, a wooden jigsaw puzzle. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that sounds very hooga. It does sound very hooga. But it's some company in Colorado, I think, called Liberty. And they make them out of plywood. And I guess it's a throwback to the way they used to be made. But it's a nightmare. (laughs) I mean, I dumped the pieces out. I felt like I was looking at an unassembled car or something. I just, (laughs) I I don't know if I'm going to continue with it. There's straight edges, but you know how you usually start by doing the you know, yeah, the edges, the border. like, well, no, the fun of these puzzles is the straight edges can be from the middle of the puzzle. And they're like, if you really want to have fun, you can order the puzzle without the cover art. So you don't even know. Oh, what my you're... oh yeah. No, it's it's madness. <laughs> I, I guess I'll give it a go. We'll see what happens. Well, it's funny you brought up puzzles because someone at work sent out a link to Podswag, the website Oh, right. And I went on, and there's actually an Inside Conan puzzle. Wait. And I had no idea that it existed. The puzzle is, why does it exist? (laughs) There's a ton of merch for us that I didn't even know about. Yes. What's the puzzle of? Just the 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 cover art? The puzzle is the the cover art, yes. There's some really great stuff on there. Well, that's that's a great tip, especially for these holiday seasons. Yes. If you want a, a white elephant gift that will not get <laughs> stolen by anybody. <laughs> if you want to see that look of puzzlement when someone opens. <laughs> do you like explaining your gifts? Boy, do we have a line of gifts for you. <laughs> we got to introduce our guest because we talked to him for a long time. Again, he's, a t- he's another two-timer on the podcast. He's Kind of, for years, synonymous with the show, Brian Stack, just... A legendary writer-performer, yes. He was one of those guys that you could always just... A pinch hitter. You could put him in a sketch, and there was a pretty good chance that it was going to get on the air. It's almost like Phil Hartman. You know, you'd hear like, oh, well, 
write something for Phil Hartman and it would get on SNL. Yeah. It's money in the bank. So we talked to Stack about some of uh, his iconic characters and how he's doing hunkered down in upstate New York, right? Yeah, he lives in Westchester County and he was in his kitchen, uh, which you could probably tell because you may hear some kitchen appliances going in the background. It sounds like he's in a diner. Yeah. There's a, someone going, corner! I've never, I, I don't know that term, corner. <laughs> yeah, corner, it's like when you go around the corner with and you got a tray full of glasses, you yell, corner! I worked in food service for a while. Here he is, Brian Stack. Well, we are here with Brian Stack. Hello, Brian. Hey, Mike. Hi, Brian. Hey, Jesse. Welcome back to Inside Conan. One of our only repeat guests. I think Conan was on twice. Yeah. Smigel. It's very exciting to have you back on. Oh, it's so great to be back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's great to see you. Well, we miss you because you're in New York. We do. Yeah, I miss you too. I really do. I just, I think about you guys all the time. And uh, I I was thinking about this, like I was like 18 years when it was supposed to be three months is just crazy that I I worked at Kona for 18 years and I thought it would be 13 weeks. And it's just kind of crazy. Yeah, right. I'm so grateful. I'll always be so grateful for that and to get to work with you guys. And you at the time were living in Chicago when you when you came in for those 13 weeks, right? Yeah, I uh I was still living there where I'm from and um I got a little sublet and thought, you know, I was probably going back in 3 months and uh but I fell totally in love with it right away and I was thinking it'd be great to stay, but I really didn't think it was going to be possible. Right. And then you learned that no one ever gets fired. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, what if I want to leave? <laughs> no. This is a Hotel California. <laughs> I think at the time it helped that NBC was was like rolling in that Friends and Law and Order cash and like right. and I was making oh. mi- Writers Guild minimum and when Tommy came back I think they were like oh what's one more writer making Tommy Blacha was a writer you filled in for right I was supposed to uh, just fill in until Tommy came back and then I think right. at the time I was just a drop in the bucket I was like bagel money so I was it wasn't a big deal <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure within a week you being there it was like oh he's staying yeah yeah oh, yeah. Thanks, Mike. You're too kind. Yeah, of course. Well, I, I loved it right away. It definitely, yeah. I definitely wanted to stay. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to ask you is, uh, you know, there's a big Conan news last week about going to HBO Max. I saw that you tweeted about it and wrote something very nice about your time on the show. Like you said, 18 years with Conan. You just got this giant outpouring of people on your Twitter feed just saying that they were big Conan fans, but they identify so much of the comedy on that show with you as well as Conan, you know? And I, I, I thought that that's kind of an, probably a really nice thing to hear. It's really meant a lot. And uh, just that, I think we all have those things we watched when we were growing up. And a lot of times, yeah. I don't know about you, Mike, but, or you, Jesse, but there, there were times where we'd be doing the show at Conan and you felt like we were kind of just doing it for ourselves and you'd almost forget that anyone was seeing it. Yes, (laughs) agreed. It was always kind of a surprise to me when people would mention a bit, even if it wasn't my bit, like I remember when John Mayer was on the show and he mentioned a bit that Glazer and McCann had done called T-Copywriter Cage Match. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was one of my favorite bits. I had nothing to do with it, but I loved it so much. And the fact that he saw it and knew what it was, I was like, wait, you know about T-Copywriter Cage (laughs) Match? That aired on television <laughs> who told you about that <laughs> exactly but that's the best like when or when jack white recognized andy blitz as uh leonard diesel vin diesel's nerdy brother <laughs> yeah he's like you're leonard diesel and i'm like oh my god <laughs> jack white knows leonard diesel this is the best 
and that that's just the best, you know, when they these people recognize little bits from our show. Right. That was a great sketch, the um, T-copyright cage match. <laughs> yeah. It was so Glazer and, Mc, and McCann, it was just... Right. They're sitting in the audience. Yeah, and they were guys who wrote the, the copy on the side of um, tea boxes, like Bigelow and... <laughs> yeah, like Lipton, Sleepy Time Tea. Chamomile, or, yeah. Right. Right, and they start one-upping each other and getting really cocky with each other, and the only way to settle the feud was to have a death match in a cage. <laughs> And my favorite moment in it was uh, Conan goes, you know how this works? And uh, Glazer goes, sure do. And McCann goes, no. <laughs> like, McCann has no idea how, what the rules are or anything. Just one of those wonderful little moments. <laughs> what characters do people most associate Brian with? Because he's done so many. It's- yeah, like what do you hear about the most? Well, the weird thing was is I was often buried under like wigs and costumes. <laughs> right. Beards, yeah. Well, the weird thing was is if I looked like myself, it was usually someone else's bit. Like I usually would hide as much as possible. Right. But one thing... I remember, I think I might have told you this before, but we were in the, a bar on 48th Street, or Irish bar, and the bartender goes, oh, you know, you're one of the Slipknots. Because <laughs> in the Slipknots, I pretty much look like myself, but I was usually buried under wigs and hats and glasses because I was hiding. Right. Yeah, or doing a voiceover. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. Trying to just bury myself as much as possible. You know, what? one character we, ta- we didn't talk about the last time and if we touch on anything we talked about the last time, a buzzer will go off. So. <laughs> it's a nice system. <laughs> One of my favorite characters, the Interrupter. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, which uh, I think you created with Michael Komen. Yeah, Michael Michael had the idea for it originally because I think you might remember this, but Conan would often joke at rehearsal, okay, how am I going to get interrupted today? Like, I'm going to get interrupted by some weirdo in the audience. Right. A weird character is going to interrupt me. Right. Someone in the audience is going to go, excuse me, Conan. And and it would always be like, you know, he'd be like, what's going on? I can't believe Conan's been hating that for 25 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because he still hates it. Well, he used to say... Like, oh, you, I'm Mr. Mooney in this sketch, right, which exactly. Lucy had a um, a comedy series, I guess, in the 60s, oh, uh-huh. and her uh, boss was like, Lucy, what is the meaning of this? <laughs> like, she worked in a bank, and she was Why the- I oughta. So he's like, yeah. oh, I miss- He was a straight man in a lot of these sketches, and he was just like, okay. And Michael, I think Michael was just kind of playing with that idea and wanted me to come in as a, as a freak, and it was originally just- supposed to be a one-off right and then several months later i was like hey can we expand that into and like learn more about that guy <laughs> and uh so right. we we brought him back and uh it just for the 800th time we did it <laughs> yeah and like like almost everything i did it would get gradually darker and sadder like the character yeah. would get more and more uh have more and more of a horrible life <laughs> and uh, so you'd learn that he lived in a dumpster behind the Port Authority bus terminal and all this. <laughs> right, right, right. One of my favorite lines, I think it was Michael's, was uh, he had seven different types of hepatitis. So. <laughs> and, Con- and Conan goes, I didn't even know there were seven different types of hepatitis. <laughs> yeah, and the timing on that, yeah. the back and forth was was great. Oh, thanks. It was always fun to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miriam came in as a female interrupter in one. Right. Bride of interrupter. Yes, exactly. We would joke sometimes she'd be in a a sketch and you know Miriam's great she's hilarious great performer she's been so many great TV shows and we'd use her all the time in sketches and sometimes if uh, the sketch got cut because it wasn't 
funny. <laughs> we're like, oh, it's going to be tense in the stack house tonight. <laughs> oh, it's always fine. We were so used to it. We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. have that Irish Catholic self-esteem where we're like, I'm surprised it didn't get cut. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that went on. <laughs> oh, you mean I didn't ruin it? <laughs> you know what I love when you um, left the Conan show on TBS to go back to New York? We ran a big tribute, like kind of your greatest hits. And at the end, you came out live as the interrupter, which was fun and in violation of the NBC intellectual property laws. (laughs) Mike, I swear I am eternally grateful. First of all, that you put that package together was way more than I ever expected. And it meant it meant a lot to me. Thank you. Oh, that was fun. Was that a surprise? I was not expecting there to be like a a reel like that. And and then for you to throw us a a goodbye party, too, is incredibly nice. I watched it again when I knew you were coming on and... It's it's great. It really does have a lot, a lot of things you did that I totally forgot about that are hilarious. So, Well, someone brought up in the writer's room. The party was a tax writer. <laughs> yes, Jesse. In the I'm writer's room this week, we watched, I can't even remember why it came up, but we watched a sketch where, Brian, you are a camera guy who, right. had, for some reason, bought a lovely <laughs> scarf for Conan's wife for the holidays. Oh, the creepy <laughs> cameraman, yeah. <laughs> and That's right. I mean, it's so funny, but then it also, you you kept improvising at the end. I mean, we could all tell that it was <laughs> improvised, because I think you even yeah. commented on, you were like, you mean, why is this sketch going so well? <laughs> and then and then you said, I, you, I bet your wife likes it. and then conan made you he goes are you even a cameraman let's see the shot that cameraman shooting (laughs) and then you guys improvised about that for five minutes but there was so much improv that all that would always make it on to the air which is so fun i mean how did you you and conan really found a rhythm where you kind of knew all right it's going to be okay for me to keep improvising with him well, I think the fact that he came from an improv background himself and that he really enjoys when things would go off the rails uh, always made it more fun. Right. Like when Wiki Bear fell off his desk once, <laughs> we were like, uh, or he knocked it off. Right. And then it was like, just you could have fun with that. Or when I, I was walking down the stairs as God and I slipped in my sandals because I'm so clumsy. Right. And he said, God, have you been drinking? You know, <laughs> <laughs> those are a lot of times. Or I remember when McCann's uh, shot, he shot Andy Blitz and then he shot himself and his wig and hat fell off. Right. When he died. And so he's laying there laughing uh, (laughs) while he's supposed to be dead. And those were a lot of times, like when those things happen and you roll with it and treat it and have fun with it, those are the best moments when you're really just. And I think Conan is so comfortable with you because he knows, I think he wanted love when things went off the rails with you because then. He knew he was in good hands. Yeah. You brought up Wiki Bear, which we should explain what that is if people don't know. It, it was just a toy that came out eight or nine years ago that. It was like a Teddy Ruxpin toy. Right, yeah. right. And you could ask it questions and it would, it was like, it was based on Wikipedia. It would answer any, it was a teaching tool for children. We brought it out and you did the voice of it. It started, oftentimes you and Conan would improvise at the end, which was delightful but it got very dark but also i think the sort of game of wiki bear came out of improv didn't it because initially in rehearsal right it didn't go quite as dark and then that was something that you improvised brian right i think originally uh, todd and i had the idea of just the fact that there's a lot of misinformation on wikipedia with todd levin who's a uh a writer on the show. At rehearsal, one of the stories was about 
something it was a little bit dark and conan started jokingly going well wiki bear why don't you just talk about the manson family yeah and um i know way too much about the manson <laughs> family so i just started riffing with him about oh that's probably why abigail folger was you know i started like throwing in all these <laughs> and he's just like oh my god wiki bear and i remember conan saying at rehearsal he goes i think this is the bit i think this is the game it's it has to be this dark. Stuff that's not appropriate for kids, yeah. Right. Go really dark. It was one of those happy accidents where we're like, oh, yeah, this is how it should be. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then that became a balancing act because sometimes it in rehearsal, it'd be yeah. too dark. Yeah. It was like, it was just like, oh. I mean, we'd be laughing really hard, but we're like, I don't think we can do that on the show. <laughs> yeah, there was one story about a German guy who wanted to eat another guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And we're like, this is just not even dark funny. It's just... It, it's, it's, it's too a, German. Yeah. That one didn't get off. <laughs> it would improve our ratings in Berlin. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I'm glad you remembered it. I couldn't remember what the, the too dark story was, but that sounds about right. I think that was it. I think that was it. I think, though, in the very first Wikibear we did, there was a story about the Donner Party. Right. But it was from 19th century, so I think it was... The other one was too soon, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember one line in Wikibear goes, he was the first one eaten. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think because it was an, a Pioneer Times thing, it was okay. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. We always made fun of Lincoln all the time. And it was just, we'd come up with different ways to that he was assassinated. Like, I remember once we had um, Lincoln 
come back. <laughs> his head was cryogenically frozen. So his, his head in a, in a bell jar, and, you know, he's talking to Conan. You know, it's great to be alive again. And then the curtain opens, and a bell jar comes with the head of John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> and he's got a gun in his mouth and shoots the Lincoln head. I remember one where you shot yourself as Lincoln because there was an ape <laughs> that had come back in time and you were, you were losing your mind. So you shot yourself. <laughs> sure. Ian Roberts was an astronaut. It was insane. It was completely insane. Oh my that, God. That, that, I remember there was a uh, ape Lincoln. Ape I remember Lincoln, that there that was, was time. <laughs> there was a sketch with like five different t- time travel <laughs> tropes going on. In it. And of course, Money Shot Lincoln, legendary. You, of course, as you sold the hell out of that bit. I'll always respect the hell out of you for many reasons. I sold the <laughs> hell out of it. I pretended I was orgasming. That's, I really had to reach deep. <laughs> That's a legendary. For the emotional truth of that. <laughs> I've always admired that when people have the courage to like go like you went all out with that bit with, in terms of your commitment and like, like McCann, when he used to do the loop. It was Brian McCann's bit. And he, I wanted, I was trying to please, I was trying to make him laugh. Well, McCann, McCann's another one who was always fearless. Like yeah. when he would do the loser character, he would push his stomach out as far as he could when he was wearing a Speedo uh, because it was funnier. He has no vanity, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, none. So I always admire that so he much. He would ins- always insist on his ass cheeks showing. Yes. <laughs> yes. If it's funny, he'll, he'll like debase himself. And, uh... That's right. He played when we first started at TBS. One of the first remotes was Conan went to visit the standard TBS standards person. And I was asking him, What's what's allowed? What isn't that. allowed? And then he calls in Brian McCann, and Brian turns to leave, and like the ass cheeks are cut <laughs> out. <in> his... <laughs> oh. oh, he played S and M Lincoln. That was one of the funniest That's right. characters ever. That was. But you you had a lot of great characters on the TBS show too. Like one of my favorites that made me laugh so hard. That, and I think you came up with this bit with Todd again. Todd Levin was. It was called um, Basic Cable, Name That Tune. Oh, right. Yeah, that was Todd's idea. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. And the whole premise was, now that we're on Basic Cable, we can't afford to play real music because of the uh, legal, the rights cost too much money. <laughs> Truth in comedy. <laughs> exactly. It was convoluted, but the whole point of it was to get to you, you singing. <laughs> We'd have knockoffs of famous songs. <laughs> right. And you would sing the knockoff, and you were... You were a singer called David Le Fontaine. <laughs> Who also had a dark backstory, right? Yes. <laughs> I think so. And my favorite part was Conan would always say, I hate that guy. I hate he would say to the audience member, I, I hate him. I hate him so much. And I would I would enjoy like tossing in something like, not as much as I hate myself yeah. or whatever. Right, right. And uh those were always my favorite things because just wallowing in the hatred. <laughs> yeah, no, you improvise once you're done with the songs, which were all I enjoy stuff that's bad on purpose, and those songs were <laughs> yeah. hilarious. And, but but then, yeah, you'd ad-lib a lot afterwards with Conan, which which was great. Oh, thanks. That was always so fun. And also, uh, you played uh, Joe Galliano. Yeah, that was always fun, too. He was a designer in Paris who got in trouble. And so right. you came on to defend yourself, and he's outlandish in his dress. And so every time they'd cut away from you to talk to Conan— we put another insane hat on your head. <laughs> yeah, Scott, Scott Chronic, he was always one of those unsung MVPs uh, of the show. He's our wardrobe designer. His creativity and, and, and humor that he would inject. Like, oh, my God. He would suggest something kind of a vague idea, and he would always make it 10 times funnier, you know? And like, yes. And his hats, in addition to the, the time and effort involved, were always super funny and creative. And like, I remember one had like 
unicorns flying through the air like over rainbows and stuff and like and it was a birthday cake too i mean they were just insane hats we just basically said scott go completely nuts with these hats you know and yeah well and that was a fun sketch because part of the fun was that sometimes the hat wouldn't completely get on like it wouldn't right the change wouldn't be perfectly executed in such a short amount of time right right and it'd be kind of busted when we'd cut back to you you'd still be like trying to do the character well you might see someone like bruce or work right. putting the hat on your head still <laughs> yeah i think there was a rehearsal outtake of bruce actually in the frame a few times and stuff right <laughs> like for, you know that's an interesting point what jesse brought up for live television well live what i mean is television show taped in front of a live audience we would oftentimes think about oh you know what even though some of this stuff won't is only seen by the studio audience and the TV audience won't see it. It'll be a delight for the studio audience and that'll kind of make the whole piece more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an example of that. Like something that audience that was there got to see people throwing these hats on you every five seconds. And I think they were just like, kind of like seen behind the curtain a bit. Yeah, I think they really enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. Like we were talking about that once with the clutch cargos where – you know, we would have the cut out of the face and have, see the lips. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Smigel and Conan, when they started that, were really smart about it. They had the actors doing it out in front of the audience. So they were kind of in on the joke of how it was being done. It, it just enhanced the the humor of it, I think, and and people's enjoyment. Absolutely. I came to see the show in 94. Andy got his tickets and uh, when I was still living in Chicago and I was just visiting New York. And I remember Robert doing a clutch and they had the curtain open and I was like, this is so cool to see how they do this. You know, and I, yeah. I remember really having that audience experience of watching. He was doing Bill Cosby and Don King, I think. And um, I remember uh, that character Slim Organbody was on that show. And I remember all the details because it was such a big thing for me to come see a live tape. <laughs> right. And, uh, it was it was really exciting. And I never want to forget that. You know, it was really fun. I went to one late night taping once. It was David Letterman. And I just remember all of it was just etched in my brain. Like Letterman came up before the show, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, he's talking to the audience before the show!" You know? Oh, I know, I know. And then I'm like, "I can't wait to see who the guest is. How can it get better?" And it was Paul Sorvino. So that totally calmed me down. <laughs> I was like, then you're like, "Oh, I could do this. I could do this job." Right? Yeah, I think it was Sarah Jessica Parker the night we saw it. Oh but. wow! Yeah. So now, I mean, you've been working on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert for what six years now? Oh my gosh! It started in uh, 2015, so a little over. Yeah, wow, five that went years. by fast. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow, wow, it wow, really wow, did. Because wow. I we did the TBS. I was there at the TBS show for five, and that right that kind of flew by too. And they, I think when you're like, I remember when we first got to the Warner's lot, I was like, wow, this is this feels really good. It just felt like a really good place to do the Conan show. And yeah. I always liked that lot a lot. I always thought it was fun to walk around and oh, it's great. being a film nerd, too. I would walk past and I would hear a tour guide say, and this was used for the French cafe scene in Casablanca. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would just nerd out completely at uh, that. And then I would see like an old James Cagney gangster movie on TV that was a Warner Brothers thing. And I'm like, Oh, that's the New York set where the taco place is. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, wow. Like it's right near the taco place. And like that's one of the magical things about uh that lot, I think is that's just, cool. I know, and it's all that's like dope. one small block that just gets transformed into 
any time period in any yes. city in the world. It's so strange. Exactly. And you're right. Some of those buildings have been there since the 30s. Yeah. It's crazy. They did. They just keep redressing them or putting different names in the window. But Yeah, from Casablanca to Heart of Dixie. <laughs> I know. Or the Gilmore Girls. Like yeah. We had, a, we had a German au pair who was living with us for a while, and she, she was a Gilmore Girls fanatic. And she, walked, she came to the lot one day, and she goes... Oh, it's the cafe. What is this? <laughs> it was so touching to see how overwhelmed she was being on the Gilmore Girls. Oh. Like seeing the Gilmore Girls buildings and seeing the gazebo. And she yeah. goes, that's the tree. The tree where the girl would sit under and stuff. And uh, and I, I hadn't seen the show, so I didn't know what she was talking about. Right. But uh, that was very nice for her. That's always weird when people are just going gaga over something that you haven't experienced. And you're... There was an old writer on Conan, Mike Stoinoff, who's mm-hmm. he played Blossom's brother on oh, the TV yeah, show yeah. Blossom. Right, right. <laughs> and I never watched Blossom. And so it was, I was like, okay, sure, you know. Um, but we'd go out, we'd leave Rockefeller Center to get lunch and people were screaming. Yes, yeah, practically. And it's like, wait a minute, something's wrong with this picture. Well, I remember when my daughters first met Conan, yeah. they were, I think my youngest daughter was excited to meet Conan because he had just interviewed Ashley Tisdale. Oh, that's great. <laughs> who was like a Disney star. So she's, she's like, like what is He's- Ashley like? <laughs> Yeah, she's like, exactly. She's like, you've talked to Ashley Tisdale. And I'm like, he's the host. I'm now one degree away from Ashley. (laughs) That's great. It was pretty adorable. And Conan rolled with it very, uh, very wonderfully. (laughs) I was just going to ask Brian if he has any memory of like a time something went really poorly. Because I always just assume that you killed in every single sketch. Is there ever a time that you remember something not working out the way you thought it would? There was one night where I only had like a two line thing in a live bit. And I told Steve King, the cue card guy, I was like, I don't, I don't need cards, <laughs> Steve. Uh, it's just too It's all up here. Oh boy. Yeah. And I, I remember, uh, I just went up. I just went completely oh, yeah. blank and Steve flipped a card. Like he had one like he just anticipated or sensed that that because it was just a brief pause, but I think he knew he knew he knew I was screwed, and so uh, and uh, so he saved my butt in that one. And I remember there's been so many, you know. Well, you brought up the cue card thing, and when I when I was first in a sketch on Conan, I remember someone really explicitly told me I, it might have been the stage manager Greg Kassoff, but he was like, "You have to read." the cue cards. Don't memorize the lines. Just read the cue cards because if you try to memorize, you'll go blank when the audience is here. So just, uh-huh. you know, in rehearsal and in the show, read it. Huh. Don't have it memorized. Well, that's why I feel so bad that the first sketch I wrote at Conan, I think we talked about this last time, was Andy's Little Sister. Right. Where Amy Poehler was playing Andy's Little Sister. And I was so new that I didn't, I thought if people could see the cue cards, they would see all the jokes. And I I said, well, let's not use cue cards. A- Amy can just, <laughs> I was like, I was like, Amy can just memorize the lot, and which is insane. And it was so unfair. And she didn't complain. She just memorized it. Oh, wow. And I still can't believe she did that. And I can't believe I <laughs> asked her to do that, which was so insane. Because I had never done it myself. I had never done anything in the audience where I would have known that how crazy that was. Right. I think probably a few times in after a few, we 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 ended up using cars, but I just remember thinking, oh, they'll see all the, 
the upcoming punchline. Yeah, yeah, they'll see the jokes coming up. But they don't really look at the cards. They're looking at the monitors watching the no. sketches. So I didn't know that. So I felt I felt so bad. Some people look at the cards. <laughs> I used to be obsessed with that too. Like sometimes the cue card guys would hold the cards up well before the person started the sketch. Mm-hmm. So I, that was my pet peeve. I was like, can you just wait till... I mean, I know it's like, you know, you don't want to do it too late, but I was like, can you wait as late as possible before you hold up cards and let the audience know right, right. that, you know, someone's about to interrupt coming from the audience. <laughs> yeah, there is kind of an art to it, uh, the timing of it. But yeah, also if right. someone's already si- sitting in the audience in a gorilla costume, they're they're going to know. <laughs> That's usually a hint. Right. That's so true. I remember sitting as the devil once all the way in the far back seat. And uh, I was like, someone's going to see me sitting here as the devil. In New York, they don't even blink. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was my other thing. Like you'd come into rehearse and they'd put something like the gorilla in the second row. It's like, uh, why don't we, let's, let's move him in the back. So that every single person sees the <laughs> I always like the look of the audience members when you'd sit down next to them and they have no idea what the bit is, but you're just sitting there dressed right. like a yeah. cucumber or something. And you're just like, right, it'd be great right, if you right. never, if it never paid off, if you were actually weren't in the sketch. <laughs> oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> I remember once Glazer, we, we did a bit where Glazer was this uh, guy with maracas who was uh, shaking with the band. Right. And we, we decided to let it go like about two thirds through the show before Conan calls out, Hey, who is that guy? <laughs> right. Right. I remember uh, he turns to Max. He goes, Hey Max, you're going to introduce the special guy sitting in with the band. And this is literally, he's been shaking maracas in a mariachi <laughs> outfit for uh, right. two thirds of the show. Half the show. And then uh, he says, right, uh, right. Hey Max, you're going to introduce the guy in the band. And Max goes, I thought you invited him. <laughs> Anyone else in the band invite him? And I says, sir, I don't understand. If no one invited you, why are you here? And Glazer just runs out of the theater. <laughs> And that was the whole joke. And I remember, but you had to watch two thirds of the show just seeing him sit there shaking his maracas. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, like in and out of every commercial because they, they'd show the band. Yeah. That's great. It was made no sense. No, I, I love stuff like that where you lay a lot of pipe. <laughs> I love the fact that we could kind of take swings like that at that show and just say, well, it may not work, but. We think it's funny and like, yeah, there were so many bits like that where we're like, like Glazer with the little Clinton hand puppet that would go, oh, man. (laughs) Oh, boy. That was just an office bit and it ended up making it on the show. You know, I love that bit. Conan was like, ah, there's not, there's nothing there. And I'm like, no, it's when he does it in the writer's room. It's so funny. I think I saw one of those. I don't know why I saw it again years later, and I was terrified to watch it because I it did well. But it is a lot of like part of the humor is how bad is how late at night it is right. when you yeah, how late at night it is it. when we came, when Laser came up with it. Well, Brian, we have to wrap up with you, but we like to ask our guests for a piece of advice for somebody out there listening who might want to do what you do, and that could be improv writing sketch. I think one thing that I've found, and this goes with the, the stand-up friends I've come up with, I've never done stand-up in my life, but I think it's true for the stand-ups that I've worked with and the people who are exclusively writers and the people that came out of improv, is that everybody kind of started out doing something they genuinely loved, as, as corny as that sounds. I think if you start off doing something that you really love doing as an end in itself, it will it can be it's more likely to become a means to an end because you're working with people you really like, you're on the same wavelength, you're doing stuff that you genuinely enjoy and that shows in your work. And so I think people it's perfectly fine to just be a writer. I think that's great. 
I do think there, there can sometimes be an advantage to being in a community of improvisers or a community of stand-ups, because as you know, a lot of times you find out about opportunities from your peers you were in the trenches with. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, because I, I actually found out about submitting to Conan through people like McCann and right. Andy and those guys who knew me from Chicago. Conan didn't know who I was. John Groff didn't know who I was. And you didn't, Mike. So it was like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from other people, too, that they found out about opportunities through people who they started out with when they were just working in basements and stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, like a lot of times people are like, I got a network or I got a, but, but that stuff just kind of happens by being in the trenches and, and investing a lot of time in addition, you know what I mean? So it, it takes like after doing something for three or four or five, seven, eight, ten 10 years, it's like, oh, you don't even think about it, but you've got this community of people who are helping each other and it, it evolves very naturally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that that's been true for so many people I've met in various types of communities, stand-up, improv, writing. Also, I think it really helps, as you know, 95% of the time, you're just hanging out in an office with people too. So I think it really helps to be someone that, it's going to sound Pollyanna-ish, but is nice to and gets along with other people. Because I, I think if you get a reputation as someone who's really difficult or a pain in the ass, they know that most of the time you're going to be sitting around in an office with them. It, it should be people you want to hang out with, you know? Yeah. So you're going to want to hire, like, if you get a bad rep and someone's like, ah, I've worked with that guy. He's really like, funny. He scares but he, me. Yeah. yeah. Or he makes <laughs> right. life really difficult. I'm not saying that difficult people can't succeed because yeah, yeah. we all know difficult right. people. Do, but I think it really helps to be. God knows difficult people can succeed. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I think it really, it's easy to get a reputation as kind of being an asshole and stuff. If, if uh, And it can follow you. It can haunt. Right. I think it can harpoon some of the opportunities that came along because someone would be like, yeah, he's funny, but he's, it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not definitely. worth it. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I think we've said this before, but Brian is notoriously one of the nicest people that anyone's ever worked with. Suspiciously so. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Thank you so much. And and honestly, I'm not just reciprocating it. I, I sincerely say that back to both of you. And uh, honestly, I never take it for granted when I'm working with really nice people that are really funny. And I'll always be grateful I got to do that for so many years with you. Well, we're grateful too. I wish you guys the best, uh, you know, with the HBO Max show. And, oh, thanks. And the, the Without Borders with and whatever else you guys are up to in the meantime. Right. And please give, give my love to everybody at the show. And uh, We will. It was great to talk to you. And thanks, Will. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Brian. All right. That was Brian Stack coming to us from his kitchen in Westchester. <laughs> corner. 86 the corner. <laughs> I'm going to 86 the corner. It was nice to catch up with Brian. He is really, truly one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Yes. Incredibly talented. But you know enough about him. Let's turn to a real staple, and I think something that's never been done or attempted on any other podcast, and that is questions from listeners. Wow. <laughs> we have a question today from a fan. Is it a... It's a voicemail. It's a voicemail. Good. I love voicemails. Hi, Inside Conan. I would like to know how they prepare an audience member for something like the Wahlburgers guy, <laughs> uh, especially how long they're sitting there. Next to the performer like Mr. Debouchet oh. in a giant ridiculous costume before we see them on camera. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great question. Yes. I love the term, how do they prepare the audience? <laughs> prepare the audience. Sounds like they're bathed and... There's some light massage. Right. 
we should explain about Wahlburgers, the, the Wahlburgers sketch. It was around the height of the popularity of the show Game of Thrones. Right. And Andre Dubachet would dress up as a guy in like a Game of Thrones cosplay, basically. Yes. Like one of the, the, the men who protect the wall. He would, you know, <laughs> have a real booming voice and he would say, something is coming, Conan. And it starts with a W. I'm talking, of course, about Wahlburgers. And he actually was a big fan of the show Wahlburger, so it was a misdirect. Oh, no. Because you thought he was going to talk about Game of Thrones. Now I realize we have to explain what the Wahlburgers <laughs> TV show is. <laughs> Which, of course, is a reality show about the Wahlburger family. And their burger joint. Yeah. The sketches are hilarious. Yes. Um, and we did. We talked to Brian about this a little bit, too. But we often have crazy costumed character in the audience mm. and they do have to sit and wait for usually conan goes he you know he he comes out and does his intro and monologue and then then the characters introduced so there's a while where the person's just sitting out there in the audience well for a while early on like some sketches on on the old late night show there'd be like five or six characters in the audience in a sketch in a sketch that would start right after conan did the monologue they would precede them prior to the show starting then Conan was like, you know what? It's really distracting to be doing monologue <laughs> jokes. And I'm staring at a bear and someone dressed as a God. banana. You know, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Neptune and, you know, with the trident. <laughs> He's like, can, can we maybe start seating them after the monologue, but before the sketch starts? So that was the concession to Conan. Yeah, usually there would often be like a VT or something before the the big character sketch. So then yes. you could come out during the VT. And actually, they do have to warn the audience member whose seat you're taking because it's a real audience person that's sitting there. And then right. they, are, they know in advance that they're going to be moved for this sketch. That's got to be scary when a, a giant bear is coming towards your seat. I think you should give them a You got to move. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for that question. Um, I think we said this last week, but we only have a few episodes left of the season. So if you have questions, get them in. I I heard that they started pouring in and I'm just imagining that scene in Harry Potter where all the owls are bringing the letters in. <laughs> but if you have questions for us, please email insideconanpod at gmail.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 323-209-5303. And that's it for us. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. And as always, we like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. 
so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.